Well, good morning, church. My name is Jim Zorn. I wish. My name is Peter Sung, and I am one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you to church this morning. Uh, the passage that was read for us, that is an incredibly powerful and insightful passage. And it's really worth a full expositional sermon. And if you would like to hear one, there's one that I gave on these very verses back last year. It's available online on our website. The sermon is called How to Give. And uh, if you're interested in that and you can't fall asleep at night, that's a good one to listen to. <clears throat> But I want to just give you a quick overview of the verses, just so you have a little bit of context for uh, Jim's time with us today. Uh, the main point that Paul is making there in this passage is that we are called to be living sacrifices, and uh, that's opposed to being a dead one. And the idea is that we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore, and we don't have to sacrifice ourselves anymore, because Jesus has sacrificed himself once and for all. And he has taken the punishment for our sins. And for us, we are on the receiving end of life. So the question is, isn't how can I, uh, what loss do I have to suffer so that God will like me? But it's how can I live my life, the life he gives to me? How can I live it for God? But it gets really tricky because living sacrifices have the uh, unique ability to crawl off the altar. And so Paul helps us to figure this trick out by talking about how to discern God's will and our will, because not both of those things matter. God, on his part, promises that because he's a good God and he loves us and we're made in his image, that our truest selves are created to be in perfect alignment with his will. And so trying to figure all that out can be a little bit tricky because now our faculties that we use to discern his will and to be our true selves have to be renewed and redeemed as well. And so the passage goes on to do that. And uh, uh, there's some really, really rich truth uh, in these verses. But without further ado, I want to bring... Jim up, and as a way to do that, I want to ask Tim Krell, who is a very good friend of Jim, who have known him for over 30 years, to come and introduce Jim to us. Thanks, Peter. My name is Tim Krell. I've been around the church for a little while, and um, actually, uh, Jim and Joy uh, were were here when Jim was just starting uh, his football career as an NFL quarterback, and that that was 30 to 35 years ago in the in the mid 70s, and. Um, to prepare for today because I do like football. I know the Seahawks and I know that current quarterback's name, uh, Russell Wilson and, uh, some things like that. But, um, I did Google Jim's name to, uh, this week because, you know, you get some interesting things if you Google a person, especially a famous person's name. So, um, and of course there's a lot of Wikipedia stuff, but I found this uh, and a lot of pictures of Jim actually. There, and uh, there are a lot where he looked a lot younger. So, um, uh, uh, high school, it looks like he, he played football when he was like 16 or something. Anyway, um, I did find this other site, uh, called Famous Birthdays. Never been on that site, but I, evidently it's a site for famous people's birthdays. And I found out that, uh, Jim, um, first of all is my age, so we have something in common, even if not football. But Jim was, um, 
the 59th most famous person born on May 10th. (laughs) That's a good stat, Jim. You know, 59, not bad. Uh, And then, overall, they have the overall rating for birthdays, I guess, and he's 18,361st overall. You know, which I don't know how many millions of people they've got on there, but, uh, and just to give you a little flavor for that, for that, Zach Efron is 26th, uh, Barack Obama, 15th, and this will give you a little bit of an idea of the people that probably vote on this site. Justin Bieber is number one. Anyway, if you've been around a few years like I have, you know that Jim and Joy uh, were members or, or attenders of the church uh, 30, 35 years ago. And um, some of the, the career stuff, um, you know, most recently he's been a coach. He, he went to coach um, from here to Boise first, uh, did some college coaching for a while, and then was NFL quarterbacks coach for a variety of teams and, and uh, loves one of one of the things, one of the key characteristics about Jim, I think, is that he is a natural teacher, and uh, great coaches are really, really great teachers as well. And you'll see that today, I think, uh, in his talk. But while he was with the Seahawks, he was the first quarterback coach for uh, Seattle Seahawks, and uh, his favorite target was Steve Largent. You probably know that name too. I, uh, I knew Jim was left-handed, but I really hadn't thought that much about what that means for a quarterback. I still don't think I get all of the intricacies about what side you're going to roll out on and how you pass across your body or whatever. So I'm not too sure about all that. But I do know also that he's a little bit like Russell Wilson in that back, way back when he was known for scrambling. So uh, he could he could move his legs and, and get around a bit. Um, he was Rookie of the Year, his first year with the Seahawks, and also the team's most valuable player that same year. Uh, his friend, Steve Largent, was the first inductee to the, to the Hawks Ring of Honor in uh, uh, 1989, and Jim was the second just two years later in 1991. So he's had definitely uh, a very uh, great career in the NFL and uh, as a coach in both college and the NFL. Um, the second, well, the, the thing I mentioned uh, that we have in common also is, is teaching. I'm a teacher. I, that's my career in teaching. And uh, we actually were uh, co-Sunday school teachers in a Sunday school class 35 years ago called Cornerstone. And that Sunday school class, I was reminded by Pastor Bud today, actually, there would be 80 people crammed into a little room up there. And Bud was always jealous, Jim. I didn't find that out until today because a lot of those people didn't go to the church service after Sunday school. So um, that's interesting. But um, anyway, uh, we did the Ch- T- Jim and Tim jo- show for a number of years together. And that's really where I got to know Jim uh, a bit better. And uh, finally, the third thing we have in common is cycling. And uh, Jim and I kind of took different trajectories. I'm a road cyclist. He's a mountain cyclist mostly. And uh, I can't really keep up even on a road bike with Jim's mountain biking probably. But I did figure out that he wasn't very good at or hadn't really done tandem cycling. So uh, Carol and I got him out with uh, Jim and Joy on a tandem cycle. And another thing about Jim is is... Uh, good, good teachers are great learners too. He's a lifelong learner. He lo- he just kind of takes stuff in, and he's good with his hands. He's mechanical, and I got a picture of that when we were we were uh, coming up 
uh, on the bridge up the hill, and we were right behind Jim, and he started slowing down. I'm going, what's going on? And uh, the rear derailleur, that's the thing that shifts the gear in the back of the bike, was just disintegrating. It was, there were parts flying off all over the place, and, and it just, so he had to stop, and he, ha- he had to push the bike the last quarter mile. But he brought out from his garage boxes of bike parts, I mean, like three boxes, and he was able to go through all those and find the exact derailleur, and we, he, he repaired that thing right in front of my eyes, which, uh, you know, not a lot of people can do. Finally, for Jim, you know, um, he's a he's a family guy. I think it's hard being popular and famous and an NFL quarterback in its own right. But he always, uh, I, I overheard him many times put, uh, say things about his wife Joy that made me know that Joy, after the Lord, was the the most important thing in his life. And he did that with his kids too. Our families played around together, and you could tell with his daughters, and then later with Isaac, his son, that he's a he he was a right on. Uh, husband and also father, and I think that probably made him even a better quarterback. Jim, come on up. Well, thank you. Uh, Jim, I really appreciate it. We used to have the uh, Tim and Jim show, or was it the Jim and Tim show? Anyway, I was Tim's comical sidekick. That's really what... uh, what I was all about. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we had a great, we had a great time. I am so thankful to be here. Thank you so much for uh, letting me come and, and uh, take uh, take your spot today, Peter. And and I told Peter this. I thought he was going to do this between services, but I told him if he wanted to be like Jim Zorn, he was going to have to get a little something in his hair. <laughs> it's just uh, it's a little flat, you know. Uh, I like I like the high hair myself, Peter. So, anyway, when you at least when you wear that jersey, I want to see some stuff. Uh, we had a great time in, in first service, and I kind of raced through everything. In fact, I've lost part of my uh, my what, what I did want to say, but I think I remember it. And I want you to I want to uh, begin by uh, uh, telling you. And here's what I'm hoping that you get four things. One, and I'm going to just say four words, and this is what I'm going to talk about today. One, integration. Integration. Two, training. Three, disciplines. And then four, hopefully with all of those three uh, little word pictures that we're going to discuss, hopefully four, you'll find freedom or really being alive. And that's really what I want to talk about today. It It does seem so long ago. Uh, that I was a, a Seahawk. My very first Seahawk game in the kingdom at that time was in 1976. And as exciting and, and significant at a time as that was in my life, it really was the year before that um, uh, was probably more significant and more exciting. Uh, it was 1975, my senior year in college. I got, well, I had... Uh, I thought I was going to be drafted, and uh, think about this. In that, uh, in that era, there were 16 rounds. You know, we have the NFL draft coming up, seven rounds. There were 16 rounds. They all passed me by. I thought for sure, I can't believe you laughed that loud. <laughs> I thought for sure 
that I was going to be drafted. Uh, and, but in my, uh, in my brief history, uh, I had two things going for me. One, I was good enough to play at Cal Poly Pomona. And then, um, secondly, I was a new Christian. I had made a commitment to Christ when I was in high school. And that relationship, for me, was very important. I wanted to um, know more and more as I, uh, as I continued to live my young life. Um, within that, I started to uh, get a... a a sense of question of whether I could be a pro football player and still be a Christian. Um, how was I going to do this? I, um, I had four contracts sitting after the draft in front of me, and this was one of my plans on how to do that. In the four contracts I had, one of them was from the Dallas Cowboys. And I had heard Tom Landry say that he was a Christian. I mean, he was involved with... FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So I was going to try to discover what that was, and I chose the Dallas Cowboys. I signed that contract. Uh, oh, yeah, I know it was awesome. And what's interesting about that, uh, the, the, the pay is a little different nowadays than it was in my time. Uh, those four contracts, they were all for the minimum salary. The minimum salary in the National Football League in 1976 $14,000. I was rolling in dough. <laughs> Fourteen grand, And I got a $500 signing bonus. <laughs> that is serious. So I just signed it. I wanted to be a part of it. And I really went there to discover if Tom Landry was able to be open with his faith or whether that was a Sunday uh, church service type of uh, relationship. And so... And I also wanted to find out if God was involved at all with such a violent sport. Um, You've got to really bring it up when you're on the football field. It's not a kiddie game, right? It, it's a, it's a very, uh, it can be very violent on the field. Uh, it's very self-serving. It, it's a very idolized way of life uh, from fans and now all the interaction action on the Internet. Uh, it's, you know, there's just so many moving parts now. Uh, but even then, uh, it was really a, a, quite a thrill to be called an NFL player. We've played on Sundays. What happens to that? I mean, is that going to be sacrilegious? Uh, Sunday is church day. And we, we were on, you know, we were on the field. It's so time-consuming. When would I find time for a Christian life? And uh, it's ego-driven, right? You've got you to gotta be confident in what you can do on that football field. So in contrast to that, I'm supposed to be a new creation, right? It's one of the only Bible verses I knew when I, was, when I became a Christian, this Second uh, Corinthians 5.17. It's one of the reasons that I came to Christ. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, what was that supposed to look like, right? The old is gone, the new has come. And how was that going to be, uh, being a football player? I had to be a living sacrifice, as we read in Romans 12. Um, I was supposed to be loving. You can't be that on the football field. You can love football, but you, how do you be loving? 
and play football. Forgiving. Oh, I'm so sorry I hit you. Uh, I'm so sorry. I forgive you uh, for hitting me. Uh, so peaceful, right? Peaceful. Uh, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. <laughs> that does not describe football, right? Uh, so I was going to try to see what Tom Landry had to say. Uh, I needed answers, right? So I flew to Dallas, my very first minicamp. On the way over, I was in a taxi cab. I was in a taxi cab between our first round. I was on the hump, right? They shoved three of us in there. I was in the hump between Randy White, who was our first round draft choice. And I kid you not, his arms were bigger than my legs. And I'm kind of looking, you know, it's a bit intimidating. Bob Brunig, who was our third round draft choice, he was a linebacker. Not a very friendly guy. Uh, later became a Christian, but at that time he was not a very friendly guy. And he was sitting to my right. Kind of intimidating. Um, we had a little chit-chat. What position do you... Are you a kicker? Um, and I said, no, I'm, I'm a quarterback. And you could just see the smile on their faces because they were both defensive players. Um, but we had our very first minicamp meeting and Tom Landry walks in. And I, if you ever remember this legend, he was really a legendary coach. Uh, he was a Dallas Cowboys head football coach for almost three decades. And he always wore a suit and he always wore a fedora and he just looked sharp. And he was very stoic when he coached, uh, standing on the sidelines. Well, he walked in and he had these polyester coaching shorts on and his little coaching whistle and t-shirt said Dallas Cowboys coach. And he didn't have a hat on and he was bald. And I thought, okay, this kind of rocked my world a little bit. Uh, he welcomed us, but right away, uh, he wanted to tell us, and this is what he said. He wanted to tell us about one of his most favorite men in history. And he said, uh, I want to read something he wrote. His name is the Apostle Paul. And I start looking around saying, Tom, Tom, man, not now. You know, this is kind of, you know, there's a bunch of salty guys here. Um, And he wanted to have this uh, interaction with us. And so um, I I got real uncomfortable for him. You know, I really did. Anyway, uh, this was going to be a religious talk in a football setting. And and quite frankly, it's kind of ironic. I'm talking about football in a church setting. Anyway, think about that. Uh, But here, uh, there were some... um, There's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And that's what he read. It goes like this. I'm going to read it. It'll be up on the screen. I'm going to read it from the message, okay? And it said this in front of all these guys. You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs, one wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. But you're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not, I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. Um, that was pretty startling for me, to sit there and uh, you know, look around and have him uh, tell us a Bible passage. I was very inspired. Um, 
he told us that we were all going to have an opportunity to make the Dallas Cowboy Football Club. And, uh, and yet, this is where this integration comes in. He was giving all of us an example of a man that didn't quite care about uh, our thoughts about who he was as a man, a spiritual man. It was in every day of his life, right? On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. What about us? You know, that's the whole idea here is do we integrate our, are we integrated in our lives? Do we take God with us outside of this church building? That's the idea. And how effective are we uh, utilizing our faith as we interact in our work, uh, interact with whatever we do at school, uh, with friends? Uh, how do we be in top condition? That's kind of a thought over here that I'm going to I'm going to develop just a little bit. But I was fired up. I was inspired. I I couldn't. I'd never heard this from a coach, and it really helped me realize that uh, God could use me right where I was at. And that's the that's the whole idea. God uses us right where we are uh, in football for me in any occupation really. So I could play for His glory. I could work heartily, as it says in Scripture, heartily as for the Lord, not for men. So uh, we all couldn't wait to get out on the field. And then when we went out there, I had a very rude awakening. I was not. Uh, I felt like I looked between those two guys in the taxi cab. They coached every single detail. They watched every minute of what we were doing, what each guy did. And I realized I didn't even know the first thing about weightlifting. But they had a strength coach who took me through every single uh, bend, jerk, push, pull, and taught me the proper technique of weightlifting. Uh, Tom Landry said, here's one of the details. Jim, when you get out here, I want you to call 25% of your plays on a quick count 25% 25% of your plays on a one count, then 25% on a two, and then 25% on a three. And you know, he kept a record of it. Because after the first practice, he said, Jim, you, you've had 70% of your snap counts on one. What's, what's the deal? I thought we talked about 25, 25, 25. I never, I never realized how much detail went into handing the ball off. I just thought, you know, you... You take the ball from center, you're underneath the center, and you, you get it, and you hand the ball off to the guy, and there he goes. And then you, you just sort of watch him, right? <laughs> you watch him run. No, no, no. No, Jim, uh, this is Dan Reeves. Now, Dan Reeves is the running back coach at that time, and he's a longtime head coach as well. No, you take the ball, Jim, and at the snap, I want you to, I want you to be down. I want you to locate where you're going to put the ball. And you're not going to put it on his shoulder pads because he's not going to be able to feel it. I want you to put it at the underneath his his number because that's where his stomach is, right? And I want you to put it in there. I don't, in fact, I don't even want you to just put it in. I want you to reach so he can get the ball as deep as he can. And I want you to press it in, which is the term that he used. And I use this today. So as you go to hand off... I want you to reach with a straight arm, not a bent arm. They're watching all this. No, 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 you bent your arm. 
I want you to reach as deep as you possibly can. In fact, you can get deeper if you just turn your shoulders. These are the details that I'm being coached in the Dallas Cowboy organization. Details. And when you press it in and the running back runs by you, then I want you to still act like you have the ball. I want you to fake everybody out. Don't watch. What are you watching for? Right? <laughs> Don't watch. Don't watch the game. Do You know, finish, finish your job. I mean, these are the details that uh, the Cowboys started me off with. And all, I'm telling you, all I was good enough was for Cal Poly Pomona. <laughs> so my inspiration uh, kind of fizzled a little bit. When I got back to my room, the, the, the team was going to go to the Texas Stadium and watch, watch a demolition derby for fun and relax and have burgers and stuff. I laid on my bed and I just stretched out because, and I didn't move because if I moved, I was sore. So I tried not to be sore. So I just laid there frozen till the next morning and I got up enough gumption to go back out. But I realized while I was laying there, that I was going to have to cut out and readjust my life. I was going to have to make some serious changes, especially with my time and my effort. I was going to have to do something different. Uh, so I did. I cut out everything I could, anything that distracted, temptations, right? Just to mess around, temptations to mess around. A lot of kids uh, today and even adults We've got these things in our minds, right? There's just things that we can do. I'm dangerously uh, uh, habitual with some of those things, just things that just just want to mess around a little bit. And so I had to make that adjustment. Uh, I, I couldn't listen to my friends ask me to come and do something because I knew I had to work out. I had to do this weightlifting regime, and I had a weight training book that the strength coach gave me, and I had to do it. Um, Anyway, I had so many gaps in my game, uh, I didn't think I was going to be able to uh, close them all up. I mean, I could throw the ball, but um, I couldn't close them all up to be good enough to play this sport. But I was going to give it a shot. Um, I want to give you an example. And since we're in church and we're doing football in church, uh, I get to coach. So I'm going to give you an example of what it might look like to have these gaps and um, what you might have to do to uh, become better at it. So um, I need some volunteers. Can you volunteer for me? Yeah, come on up here. Yeah. What's your name? Christine. Christine. Hi, I'm Jim. Yeah, nice. Uh, stand over here. Uh, uh. No, uh, you know what? What's your name? You, right there. Yeah. What's your name? David, come on up here, man. You're from Mercer Island. I saw your little lacrosse deal. I'm, uh, I'm kind of partial to lacrosse. No, 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 David, you're over here. All right. And, um, okay, I'm going to teach you how to throw. Oh, is there anything better than that? Huh? Is there any? And, and what I want you to do, if you're a dad or a grandfather or something like that, you can listen, and we're going to uh, learn how to throw a football properly, right? Will I have all the details? Will they be NFL ready? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how good they look. Uh, Peter, I need you to stand up here, and you need to catch for David. Uh, David, right? David. And Christine. It's my wife's name. Uh, we call her Joy. 
go, go figure. Christine, uh, have you ever thrown a football before? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to let Christine throw to David, but I am not sure she's going to, even though she said yes. Okay, so she must be an athlete. And you're going to throw it to Peter, though. Okay? And uh, just complete the pass. Okay, so let's, uh, let's just go and do it. Go for it. Oh, my gosh. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. David, now I want you to see David. He's smaller, right? A little younger. And this football is an NFL game ball, and it's too big for David. It's too big for his hands. It might be too big for Christine's hands. But let me see your grip. Show everybody your grip. No, no, show, show everybody out here. Uh, okay, all right. That's, that's decent, all right. Now, uh, Christine, can you catch? Okay. Aren't you glad I asked that question? I have broken a young woman's nose playing football. But I won't, I won't do that. Uh, no, she was uh, one of the uh, seagulls, and we were playing flag football at a big uh, deal that they invited a bunch of guys to. And she actually was a pretty good athlete. And she had caught a few of my passes, and she was wide open coming across the middle on this one. This is side note. This has nothing to do with anything. And so I threw it to her, and she went like this. And I hit her square in the nose. Boosh! Okay. All right, David, throw me the ball. Just throw it. No coaching. Just throw it. That wasn't bad either. All right? You're right there. All right. Now, okay, so I'm just going to talk about a few little details, okay? You've got to think of three things when you, when you throw the football. One, you have to step. Two, you have to rotate. And three, you have to pull down. Pull down. You have to pull your arm down. How do you do that? Okay, I'll show you. Now, so now, um, if you are going to be able to rotate and throw the ball to David, actually, you're going to throw it to Peter. But if you're going to do that, how do you have to stand to do that? Yes. Okay, so, so when you saw her throw the football first, she was standing kind of facing her receiver. So she went... She turned a little bit, but she was fa- and then went like this. And so everything was straight. But you can't rotate. So to be able to rotate, you've got to stand sideways. Okay, Peter, you've got to stand up here. All right? All right. Now, <clears throat> go ahead and throw. Think about three things. Step, rotate, pull your arm down. Okay? Here's the, the, third, the third step is pull down. Where do you have to have your arm to be able to pull it down? How high? Well, let's show me. Yes. Okay, so that's exactly right. It's perfect, okay? And here's the, here's the key. You have to have your elbow above your shoulder, and then you can pull down, okay? So much like I'm going to try to tell David who threw the ball, he threw the ball with his elbow real low, and he tried to make it spin. But if you have your elbow up above your shoulder, and you rotate, and then you pull your arm down, tight spiral. Okay. So, will you throw it? Yes. Okay, that's really good. That's really good. Okay, David, throw the ball back. Turn sideways. Both, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no. Turn sideways. Yes. Okay, and you got the ball now. I want to see you, when you throw it, when, as, you, as you bring it, don't bring it back. Bring it more up as you step. So, when you step, I want you to step, rotate, and then pull your arm down. Okay, I want you to fire it at me now. Ready? Yes. Okay. Very good. All right. All right. And this is the final round. All right. Now, so 
I want you to see where Christine, how she's gripping the ball. Okay, show everybody how you're gripping it. Okay, see where her fingers are? Now, her hand is not real big either, okay, for this football. So what I want uh, Christine to do is just back your hand up a little bit where it's comfortable, and you can have one or two fingers on the laces, and then, yes, okay. Now, you know, when, when we moved it back a little bit for her hand, now she's gripping the ball a little bit more with her fingertips, okay? It's not loose in her hands, but she's gripping it. It has a little more pressure on her fingertips. Okay, so when you turn sideways, when you step, rotate, and pull down, don't hurt the pastor. Um, but you can just, just when you come, just let it go. And just and pull down and just throw it right at his face, okay? That's the way we talk, you know? Now, we usually have face masks on and stuff, but we don't want a bloody nose here today, all right? Okay, so, and then, oh, see, she wanted to let go of the ball too soon, so... What will help her shoulder rotation, along with being able to rotate, is if she holds the ball and she holds it with two hands right here, kind of towards the armpit, just in front of the armpit, all right? And now, as you, and you, and, and now, uh, it forces my shoulder to be more, uh, more in front. You see this? Okay. All right. So that now, when I let the ball go, I'm, I'm coming through in one motion, okay? So let, so turn sideways. Okay, ready? Do it. Oh, I love the smile too. Did you see that? All right, last one, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, he did it automatically. Did you see him? He turned sideways. He remembered, right? All right, and you're, you know you're going to get your elbow up, right? And then, when you, uh, and then when you let the ball go with that front hand, you're just going to fire it at me, okay? All right, here we go. Yes. Very good. All right. Thank you. Christine, thank you so much. Thank you. Now, uh, I just want you to, I just want to backtrack one, one little, um, with Christine, when I told her to throw, she, she said, yeah, I can throw. And she did. Relaxed, everything. When I started to coach her, everything got real mechanical. And that's what, that's what happens when you start learning something new. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that very thing, um, as as she started as she started to throw. But can you sense the gaps um, that it takes to learn a skill, to learn something that you want to become just real comfortable and flow and 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 that's the way I felt uh, as a as a football player trying to make it in the pros. Um, I don't necessarily think that these players are probably going to be. I had Peter throw in the first service and we benched him. You, you notice I didn't let him throw today. You know, there was a lot of instruments and things that were that were at risk. Now you did actually he he did pretty good. I like to mess around with Peter, but um anyway, so there was all this detail that I had to get to. And I and but I wanted, um, as the as the detail was being worked out at Cal Poly Pomona, I I also started remembering what that um, living sacrifice was, and I tried to implement those kinds of things into my life to offer myself uh, and try to play, really what what other players do um, in the National Football League, play for the glory of God, and so I I did discipline my life. But there's a, another passage. There's another passage that actually sheds even more light 
on this subject. And I want to read it because it's really important to what we're talking about today. And it's uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 9. And it says this. It says, stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. I love that. Workouts in the gymnasium or football are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so. Making you fit for both today and forever. You can count on this. Take it to heart. Train for godliness. Training for godliness. Exercise daily for God. Discipline life for God. Oh, that was not inspiring to me. You know, it just, this, the spiritual flabbiness, I can relate to. I like that. Uh, but it just sounds so uh, restrictive, like it's legalistic. Uh, and, you know, as I was going to try to do this in my life, it just never, it never flowed like it was, it was all, it was even harder than training physically. Spiritual disciplines. Physical versus spiritual. Uh, I could have coached, uh, I mean, I have coached since my uh, playing days ended, and I coached a guy that was here in Seattle. I coached here for seven years with Mike Holmgren. His name was Matt Hasselbeck. We got him from the Green Bay Packers, and he backed up a, a fair guy, a guy named Brett Favre, for about four years. Now, Brett Favre is every, on everybody's mental picture. He is wild. I mean, Brett Favre played like the game they all say is supposed to be played. And he came and he wanted to be Brett Favre here in Seattle. He wanted to reinvent the Brett Favre. But every time he tried to do that, he was awful. He was just awful. And I would tell him, you have to become a disciplined football player to play. You can't play like Brett Favre. You're not Brett Favre, right? You have to make good decisions. You have to, you have to develop your physical talent, and he did have some. Well, he was stubborn. Uh, he had his own ideas. He did not want to be a disciplined player. You know what happened? He lost his position to Trent Dilfer. Do you remember that time in history? I don't know if some of the men, well, women, you know, who cares? My daughters, uh, I have two, two of my daughters here. Uh, one sitting in the back in that cry room because she didn't want anybody to be disturbed. But uh, they're here to see if I'm lying. And then Danielle is over here as well. And uh, they, they uh, honor me by, uh, by being here. Uh, and i got to be on my shtick when they're here because they, they, uh, they know what I'm saying. Can you hear me in there, sir? Right on. All right. Okay, Matt Hasselbeck. He lost his position to Trent Dilfer. And when he did, he walked into my office and he said, What's wrong? I said, You're awful. You're I told you, you have to become a disciplined player. He said, yeah, but you make me feel so confined, just like I did with Christine. I ruined her throwing motion, right? It was good. She whipped the ball, right? And now he's going to coach her. And and he said, Matt, you make me feel so confined. I feel so restricted. And I told him this. I've watched you play in a disciplined fashion. And you know what it makes me feel? It makes me feel like you're free. Like when you play in a disciplined way, that is freedom to you because you play really well. You play lights out. And so he had to go think about that. And then when he came back in, he said, okay, I'm going to do everything you asked me to do. And it was almost a mock. 
you know, almost a dare. I'm going to show you that even if you teach me all these things like I was trying to help Christine with, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. I'm going to show you. And he was just mad. I said, okay, let's go. Let's start doing it. You're going to do everything I ask you to do. And so that's what we did. We started out and we started working on some drill work and help and some decision making in his life uh, to be a better football player. And you know what? It did free him up. I mean, he was a, a really great quarterback, if you all remember. And he led us uh, to a Super Bowl in 2005. And, and when you become as proficient as he was as a player, you make it look so easy. You wonder, I could do that. Uh, I always say that about artists, you know, uh, in anything. They do, I could paint that. <laughs> I, can, I can make that thing. You know, I'll just go buy some wood and get that thing going. And yet, when you start doing it, you can't. And that's the way it is in this football league. Uh, these guys make it look so easy uh, in difficult situations. In the most difficult situation, you just play. Um, there's a side note. Uh, and, and it was another thing that Tom Landry uh, actually has said and, and has been quoted in several books. He said, the job of a football coach is to make men do or punish themselves. We make them punish themselves. Uh, they, they do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. That was a, a, a quote. And that's kind of like the spiritual life too. It's not, uh, it's not natural to all of a sudden pursue these spiritual disciplines. It takes discipline to be able to do that. And it takes kind of a surrendering. And Matt did that. Um, I think God asks us to do that as well. So in everyday life, what does that look like? And you can think of a person or somebody that you've observed or admired um, by the way that their day-to-day life has this reflection. Uh, they're the same living out Bible verses that we only read, right? Live them out. How do you do that? They apply all these applications that Peter comes up with for us on Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, his applications are really an encouragement for us to live differently. And, and yet, uh, when we walk out of here, uh, that's the tough part. Uh, they don't get mad at things uh, that I know I go ballistic over. Uh, I, and joy is my best example of that. I, I think my children are as well. Uh, they never bring attention to themselves. When you're observing that person that's living out their Christian life, they don't bring attention to themselves because they're busy looking out for others. Matt Hasselbeck, very other-oriented. He was such an inspiration to me to work with him and many of the other QBs as well. But that was one thing Matt was that really taught me a lot, how to become other-oriented. He did it naturally. Uh... They don't talk much about themselves, spiritually disciplined. You know why? Because they have a humility, right? In fact, what happens, and that list can go on and on. Uh, I would venture to say, uh, you'll likely find out that these people have spent hours disciplining themselves in spiritual disciplines. Um, That's so that they can be mature in their own walk with the Lord. In fact, uh, you, you'd say that these people kind of look like Jesus. 
And isn't that what Christ asked us to do? To look a little more like him. And that's hard to do out of, out of, the, out of the walls of, uh, of this building. So when, you talk about these, when, when I talk about these disciplines, and this is one of the things that I want to say that I didn't, I didn't get to last, uh, last service. Uh, how are we going to feel? make the uncomfortable become comfortable? How are we going to have that freedom to really be alive? And so these disciplines are, let's talk about the Bible. That's kind of a massive thing in Christianity. Find out what's in there. We read it, we study it, we meditate on it, right? And we memorize it. And that's the way we get more and more depth in our spiritual life. The more you read, the more you're just going to, you know, you just be, you know, I'm blown away at some of the uh, truth that's in there that affects my life. Prayer. It's been said that prayer is who we are, not what we do. And so prayer needs to go on constantly, all day, all day, just a conversation. Not so others can see that you're talking to yourself and wonder what the heck's really going on in your life. But just that that prayer, that prayer time. Um, Small group fellowship. Uh, There's a bunch of small group fellowship uh, in this church. And uh, we we help each other. Uh, Like iron sharpens iron. Uh, so one man sharpens another, and we do uh, sharpen each other uh, as we spend time together. The list goes on. And this is what's really important about this list and all the things that I'm talking about. If you get anything, remember, I'm not saying that spiritual disciplines earn our way to heaven. Uh, There's no salvation in spiritual disciplines, right? Doing, uh, Doing spiritual disciplines... Uh, is what we do, right? We do spiritual disciplines. Salvation is a gift. So don't think that I'm saying we're earning our way to salvation. That's not it, right? Salvation, a Jesus-paid price. We talked about that earlier with Peter. It's the Holy Spirit who really changes our heart and grows us up. We spiritually discipline ourselves. So I just want to go right again to this Romans 12 passage. I want to read it, and I'm going to read it from the message. And so here's summing up what we've talked about today. And it says this in Romans 12.1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take every, no, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, football playing, um, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. uh, Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down, To its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's a great verse, and it's a great verse for our lives today. And um, the real work, the application, uh, it's it's tough because it's a daily relationship with the living God that makes us alive, right? So the real work that we have to do, uh, if Christine wants to become a better pastor, she's got to work at it. So does David. So do, so do we all. But what I'm talking about is our spiritual walk. 
And the real work starts when we walk out the doors, right? That's where the work begins. Um, He's involved with us in everything, our work, our passions, our obligations. He's involved with us with all the things we're accountable to, all the issues of life he's involved with. And we're all more capable than we think we are, really. And when we think about it, we're all far more capable. Um, and we've got to just become very tough. We've got to get, or we, ha- or we have all these capabilities to uh, do all this, all those spiritual disciplines that we just talked about, and they will help us grow. Um, that will really help us be alive. So I would say this. Um, our lives can be used by God and, the, and, uh, and be light to point others to Jesus. God is waiting to start the one-on-one relationship uh, with you and me. Any day, any time. God just doesn't get tired of his most important creations, you and me. Um, those of you who are alive in Christ... Uh, because daily, uh, what you have to do is make the uncomfortable become comfortable, right? If you're alive in Christ, do that. Make the uncomfortable become comfortable. And those of you who haven't experienced this relationship with Christ, open yourselves up to Jesus Christ. Then you really will start, uh, you'll really begin to live. And you'll have, you'll fe- you'll have this sense of being really alive um, thanks for listening, and uh, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, football and uh, sp- spiritual things, and I hope you take it to heart. Thanks, Peter. Jim, thanks so much. I just want to close us out in the word of prayer. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for all of your engagement in the day-to-day affairs of our lives. Thank you that you are our coach, that you don't demand perfection all at once, but you're wanting to uh, get us in training mode so that we can be working on things together with you. And I pray that you'd you'd be near to us and speak to us and uh, know us so well that you can um, uh, be this Uh, trustworthy and effective voice in our lives. We look to you as our great coach and savior, and we love you because you have first loved us. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.